Thanks for tuning in to Redeeming Grace Bible Church. Here at Redeeming Grace Bible Church, it's our full conviction, as Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16, that all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We pray as a result of this sermon, you come to see and know Christ more clearly, and if you do not yet know Christ, that you might also come to see him as Lord and Savior. James chapter 4, verses uh, 4 to 10. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Thank you, Terry. Even as we read from 1 Peter, who, quoting from Isaiah, uh, affirms that though the grass withers and though the flower fades, that the word of our God remains forever. Let's ask his help as we open his scriptures together now. Bow with me, please. Father, we come now to you and uh, thank you for just the time of, of worship and singing, Lord, that... Uh, in that we are speaking the truth and singing the truth to one another that we might be built up in the faith and uh, filled afresh by your Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask now as we open your word that uh, you would continue to instruct us. And Lord, as we look at the command to resist the devil and also the promise that he will flee, Lord, that you would help us in this area to think biblically about uh, biblical uh, spiritual warfare We know that there are so many abuses all around this issue in our day, so much uh, confusion and misunderstanding, and so we just look to you to help us to learn from you, to be instructed um, by your scriptures, Lord, that we would be better equipped and uh, we would be found as faithful soldiers of the cross, Lord, um, being sober-minded and uh, vigilant in the battle. And so we look to you just to help us now that my words would be... uh, clear and in accordance to your word and that the minds of of all lord would just be able to to be attentive that you keep us from being distracted in our thinking uh, we pray even your blessing upon the children lord that uh, i know they can pick up uh, many things and we just pray that you also give them uh, a desire to learn of you and of your word and we ask this all in jesus name amen you may be seated thank you
My intention was to um, kind of finish off this section this morning by looking at both of these, uh, while well, it'll be the second and third cure, I suppose, that James gives in response to the, the dangerous trap of worldliness. We have the command to resist the devil and the promise that he will flee. And then we also have in verse 8 the command to draw near to God and the promise that he will draw near to us. And, uh, and yet, as I thought more about it, is, uh, you know, we're not in a, a rush. And it's certainly worth our time to take each of those individual commands from James and just to try and meditate upon it in light of the scriptures and uh, really just to, to linger over these, these cures that James gives to us as a response to worldliness. Last week, we looked at um, what I said was the first cure that James gives us, which is to humble ourselves to God, to submit to him in repentance and in brokenness before him. And uh, he, he describes that in very physical terms of even washing hands and purifying hearts and uh, mourning and weeping. But, but it is not primarily the, the, the physical external things that James has in mind. This is a picture of humility, of repentance, of brokenness before God. And that is the primary way where we can fight against this drift towards worldliness, towards uh, living pleasures for dying things as John Owen described it. So this morning, I want to look at the second cure, um, and we'll save the, the, the third one then for another time, the command to resist the devil and the promise that God will uh, give us victory in that, that the devil will flee from us. A very clear command and a very wonderful and profound promise. And I think if any Christian says, well, I just don't know what God wants me to do with my life, I don't know what God uh, wants me to do, then, then I would suggest you point them back to the book of James. Uh, remember, there are roughly 50 imperatives in only five chapters, 50 specific clear commands that James gives the Christians in the early church of things we are to be actively doing as followers of God. And, uh, and yet some today act like they don't know what God wants of them. And many times uh, it's like the, the, the child who says, I'm bored, there's nothing to do. And then you list, you know, 10 things that they could actually be doing. And it's like, oh, no, I don't want to do any of those things. Those aren't fun. I'm still bored. There's still nothing to do. And, uh, and sometimes we can be that way, can't we? we? We know that God has given us some very clear, plain things to be doing um, but maybe we, like the child who says, well, I don't want to do that. And that's a good place to start praying, that God would give us fresh new desires, uh, that he would change our want to. And we pray that for our children, that by God's grace, that they would have a new want to that is compelled by the spirit of the living God. And we need to pray that God would continue to, to give us a desire to walk in the plain instruction of his word. So let us consider this command together. It is a, a command that James gives. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And I believe this is to be a, a, a cure, uh, a tactic, if you will, in the battle against worldliness, of, of becoming uh, infatuated with all of the things of this world and taking our eyes off of the supremacy of Christ. One of the ways that we counter that danger is learning to resist the devil and experiencing the promise 
that he will flee from us. I think the meaning of the word resist is clear enough to us to stand against, to to be in opposition. Uh, You think of the, if you're into sports or enjoy playing sports, you always have the, the offensive side, but then there's also the defensive side. Those whose job it is to resist the advance of the opposing team. Um, for myself, growing up as a young kid, we played some hockey, and I was immediately, for whatever reason, the coach deemed uh, put as a defenseman. And so it became second nature to me in any time that I play hockey is generally to stay back and to kind of help guard the net, help look out for the goalie to, to ward off the, the you know, opposing teams trying to score. And, uh, and, and we could think maybe of even soldiers or in times of war, as an advancing army tries to come into a nation, there is a call for the, the soldiers to resist that advance, to, to stand their ground and prevent them from just walking into a country and taking over. This, this picture of resistance. But what is the biblical picture of resisting the devil? Clearly that's the command, we're to resist him. What does that mean? There are many notions uh, floating around today of, of what it means to resist the, the devil. I'm sure you've come across a number of strange and, and bizarre ideas out there. You have, you know, crazies like Benny Hinn claiming that he has a, a Holy Spirit machine gun and that he can somehow, you know, dispense the Holy Spirit at his, at his own will. Um, you have those from Bethel trying to cast demons out of everything from the demon of alcohol to the demon of post-nasal drip and everything is a demon that must be driven out and cast out and uh, and so you have these these strange uh, misunderstandings you have maybe the Wiccans and their garlic and mushrooms and and all of their strange uh, incantations and trying to ward off evil spirits or maybe the Hollywood version which is some monk holding up a, a crucifix as though a little piece of, of metal has some kind of intrinsic power against demonic forces. Some very strange ideas out there when it comes to resisting the devil. But what does James have in mind? And he doesn't give us a lot of detail here, so we have to, to look a little bit beyond just the letter of James and, 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 and search over the scriptures and try to understand biblically what does this mean, what does this look like. But even before that, perhaps it's worth just mentioning for a moment that it's important to acknowledge that the devil is a real foe. And he has with him a host of fallen angels who we call demons. And there's a lot of mystery there to us. Um, I'm assuming that none of us have ever seen uh, an actual demon that we've never had, you know, heard a voice or someone speaking to us who was possessed by demons, probably uh, not, though that certainly can happen. Um, and so there's, there's mystery around this. And some may conclude, well, I don't even think the devil's real. I don't even think that there are such things as fallen angels and angels. And this is just all make-believe. And some would deny that there's even spiritual beings at work in the world, whether good or bad. But clearly the Bible does affirm the existence of such beings. And we don't want to be ignorant about that. We don't want to downplay it as though it's irrelevant to our Christian life and to our desire to honor the Lord. Uh, And and, and furthermore, we, we need to be careful that we don't underestimate the enemy. I think it would be madness to say that I in and of myself can resist the devil. 
uh, that, that there is something within me that can, can overcome one of these fallen angels. In the Bible, we see at times a single angel wipe out 30,000 plus people. A single angel. These are, are not goofy fat guys in red spandex with a pitchfork, right? That, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about real angels with real uh, God-given authority and power. And, uh, and, and when it comes to the devil and his uh, minions, if you will, that they are actively, aggressively attacking the church, attacking the followers of Christ. They hate God, they hate his glory, and they hate those who call upon him and trust in him. And so we should expect some degree of opposition in our life. And therefore, it's important that we understand the command to resist and how that should look. I came across a sermon um, preached by John Piper on this issue of resisting the devil. And he listed 10 ways in which the devil still works against the kingdom of God. And uh, and it's just a a reminder that, yes, this is a real active enemy in the the kingdom of God. He listed um, 10 ways that we see Satan working in the scriptures. First of all, that he is uh, a liar. He lies and he is the father of lies. And Jesus described this to be true in John 8, 44, when he told the Pharisees, you are acting like your father, the devil, who is a liar and the father of lies. Satan has from the beginning spread and propagated lies to deceive the people of God. And he is still about that business. Secondly, Satan, we know, blinds the minds of unbelievers. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, Paul describes this reality, that, that, that he has the ability to keep people from seeing the glory of Christ, from, from truly understanding their own plight and own danger. And he, he blinds their minds from understanding what they are hearing. We know that Satan masquerades in costumes of light and righteousness, that he can present himself as even an angel of light, of a worker of righteousness. And we certainly see this in the false prophets, that that he will come to you as a teacher of the Bible, as an ambassador of Christ, and he will pretend to be uh, on the same side, but really looking to deceive and to mislead. In 2 Thessalonians 2.9, we see, fourthly, Satan, even at times, can do signs and wonders. Uh, there can be a, a demonic sort of sign and wonder that may look to us initially like something that God has done, but is really, again, a deception. And we see that also described in the book of Revelation. We know that Satan um, can tempt people to sin. It's not... Every temptation is from Satan, but certainly he has that ability to tempt people, to entice them, to disobey the clear instruction of God. Number six, Satan plucks the word of God out of people's hearts and chokes faith. And Mark 4, 1 to 9, you remember the, the parable of the, the sower. And as the seed is, is cast upon the ground, uh, the, the hard stony ground, and the birds of the air come down and they, they devour the seed and it never, it never germinates, it never finds soil. 
and produces any fruit. And Jesus would, would compare that to the devil who, who wants to remove any of God's truth from our hearts and minds. And so sometimes maybe you experience that. You're listening or you're reading and, and you're distracted and nothing that you're reading, nothing that you're hearing seems to stick in your mind. It is, it is snatched away and you're quickly let off somewhere else before you're able to really prayerfully consider and meditate upon the word that you have heard. Number seven, we know Satan can cause some sickness and disease. In Acts 10.38, Paul describes uh, bringing deliverance and healing to those who, who had been uh, under the, the, the sufferings of, of Satan, that, that Satan had bound them in these various forms. Now, that doesn't mean that all sickness and all disease is of the devil, uh, and we have to be careful not to go down that road, but certainly we see in the scriptures there are times when he uses this uh, ability he has to, to bind people in sickness and disease. Number eight, we know that Satan is a murderer, that he hates life, he hates all those who bear the image of God, even though the image of God may be uh, faintly visible in, in humanity, it is still there, and Satan despises this, and therefore he is a murderer. He, he, uh, we're told in, in Judas um, that Satan entered him. And, and what is it that Satan um, provoked Judas to do? No doubt to, to see the death of Christ himself, provoking him to murder the author of life and uh, to be part of that scheme. We could easily look at the, the, uh, the abortion industry. Uh, even now we have assisted suicides and, and all of these sorts of things that uh, we live in a culture of death. And this is the sort of culture that will, will be, be brought about when, when people turn away from God and really subject themselves to the agenda of the devil. It will become a culture of death because he is a murderer. And Jesus also made that clear in John 8. We know number nine that Satan can fight against the plan of missionaries and the advancing of the gospel. In 1 Thessalonians 2.17, Paul describes the, that Satan hindered their desire to go into various regions and to spread the gospel, and that there was demonic opposition to the gospel advancing into those areas. And Paul called the churches to pray for him, to pray for opportunity, to pray for boldness, uh, engaging in that spiritual warfare. Number 10 that he listed was Satan accuses Christians before God. In Revelation 12, we have this description of the devil who is, is cast down out of heaven and is described that he is the accuser of the brethren, constantly bringing accusations before God against the children of God. So he is a very active and aggressive enemy of all those who call upon the Lord and really against humanity as a whole, as image bearers of God. And he will certainly use people to accomplish his, his, his will and his work, but then dispose of them because he cares nothing for humanity. And that's not even an exhaustive list, those 10 uh, ways in which we see the, the activity of, of, the Satan, of Satan within the world and against the church. And on top of that, we know that Satan is not the only one opposing the Christian uh, and the cause of Christ. We also battle our own flesh and indwelling sin. And we also have the influences of the world. And so you'll often hear those three uh, enemies that come against us, the world, the flesh, 
and the devil. And we have to learn to stand firm and to learn to, to put on the armor of God and to take up the sword of the Spirit. We must not be naive on the activity of the devil and his various snares and schemes that come against us. It's a foolish country that lives in denial of their present enemies. And it's a foolish Christian to think there's never a need to actively resist the devil's attacks. Now we have to remember that the devil himself is not omnipresent. Uh, He is not everywhere at all times. He does not know all things. He does not uh, know our, our, our thoughts you know, we sometimes can be maybe guilty of, of giving him God-like attributes he doesn't have. He is one being who would be confined to a, a single space and time at any given moment. Uh, and so James, no doubt, has in mind not only the devil himself, but also the various demonic forces that come against us. Um, you know, I don't even, we don't even know, like, have ever actually encountered the devil himself? Um, you know, maybe not, but certainly other fallen angels, other demonic forces that, that share in his uh, agenda to, to undermine the gospel, to, to belittle Christ. So James may not specifically just mean the devil, but demonic influences, demonic attack. And this raises the question for us too, um, how would you even know when you're being attacked by the devil. We don't really often know whether the temptation that we're dealing with or the despair that, that, that sometimes washes over us, we don't always know if that is the result of, of an evil spirit or is that simply my own fallen nature, my own sinful uh, remnants of Adam that are yet to be uh, fully crucified and laid to rest or, or sometimes it's the enticing call of the world that, that I'm being drawn away to. There are these three enemies. And, and, and as I said, it's not always um, the devil himself. So how do we know when, when we are dealing with the devil, with demonic influence? And I would say many times we, we probably won't. But the good news is that the... The response to the world, the response to the flesh, and the response to the devil is actually the same for the Christian. And so the way in which we stand, the way in which we resist, doesn't change. And so that's good news. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like the, the, uh, the boxer who, who only uh, has one move, but, but that move seems to defeat any enemy that he comes against. Uh, for the Christian, we don't have to learn, uh, you know, various sets of, of techniques in, in this battle, depending on it, whether it's the world, the flesh or the devil. Actually, the way in which we stand and resist is consistent. And that's a blessing for us. And first of all, then, as we consider how then do we resist? How do we stand firm? First of all, I would just mention that it is crucial that we remind ourselves that we're not fighting for victory, but we are actually fighting from victory. And that is something that we must preach to ourselves constantly. If we're fighting against the devil or against our own indwelling sin uh, for victory, then that is a hopeless battle. And we are actually already defeated because we know in and of ourselves we are powerless against these foes. 
uh, certainly against these angelic beings who, who have tremendous power and, 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 and they're very cunning. Uh, in and of ourselves, we cannot win this battle. But if another has already gone before us as our champion and has actually already defeated the giant and now calls us to pursue the enemy in victory, well, that's a very different picture, isn't it? If we are fighting from a place of victory, fighting a foe that has actually already been defeated and is now like a a wounded animal that knows his time is short but still trying to cause destruction, then that's a different picture for the Christian. And we have to understand that we fight from a place of victory. We are in a battle that has actually already been won. And the victory was won, of course, by Christ, our captain. So the call then isn't that we must somehow uh, defeat this enemy, but really that we must abide in Christ, who is the victor, and he is the, the serpent crusher, and that our identity in him is what enables us to stand and to resist his schemes and his snares. As Martin Luther wrote in the hymn, A Mighty Fortress, he said, Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Just ask who that may be. Christ Jesus, it is he, the Lord of hosts, his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. And then he goes on in the third verse, and though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, We tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. And that is really where we begin to experience victory in this battle, when we understand that it's not our striving that would be the end of this enemy, but it's that Christ is our champion, and we abide in him, and we remind the devil of the victory that has been won. I think it maybe would be helpful to to think of the devil as having a very uh, short memory. And uh, of course he does not, but I think he certainly pretends to have a short memory because he would come at the Christian to, to drown us in guilt and despair. Or he may try to lure us back into the bondage of sin and and disobedience and would have us believe that it is us against him, that he actually has a chance in this battle, that he actually has something to offer us. He would want us to forget about the fact that Christ crushed the head of of the serpent at Calvary and Satan is already defeated. And so I think a lot of times the battle is reminding ourselves of, of the victory of Christ and the promises of God, but then also reminding the devil. Uh, in this way, we resist him. Remind him of what Christ has done. Remind him that we are washed in the blood and that we are more than conquerors through Christ who has loved us. Remind the devil that, that God is faithful and has already delivered us. That judgment is coming quickly. And his doom is sure. He cannot withstand 
the reminder of his own defeat. He cannot withstand the the victory of Christ. And we, as Revelation describes, um, overcome, it says in Revelation 12, 11, and they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. The blood of the Lamb remind the serpent of Christ who was slain, that has washed our guilt away and remind him of the word of our testimony, this gospel, this good news that Christ is our champion. The devil has already been undone and he was put to open shame, as Paul says in Colossians, that, the, that Christ exposed these rulers and principalities to open shame. And when they thought they had finally crucified the, the, the author of life, It was in that moment that his heel came down upon the ancient serpent and Christ rose from the grave, broke out of the tomb and now lives forevermore as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is why Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 15, 56, the sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Or Romans 8, 37, know in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You see, we, we are learning to abide in the victory of Christ and it's when we stand in that victory that we learn to properly and biblically resist the devil and he cannot stand the reminder of the cross and he will flee from you, James says. And that is a promise of God's word. So we resist the devil by fighting from a place of victory in Christ. We also see uh, in the scriptures that we resist the devil with the word of God, which Paul calls the sword of the spirit. And I know you're familiar with the the temptation of Christ, uh, but but such an incredible look at this, this spiritual warfare that goes on and how Christ himself... Uh, engages in the battle against the serpent's lies. Uh, We know that Jesus could have vaporized the devil in that moment. He could have driven him out of the world forever. He could have cast him into outer darkness as soon as the devil uh, even presented the the idea uh, of, of disobeying God. But I think Jesus gives us a perfect example as the God man how to do battle with this enemy, how to resist him. And you know uh, exactly what Jesus does. He, He turns to the scriptures and he simply quotes the Bible. He quotes the Old Testament and reminds the devil of the word of God. And, and, and with each time, of course, the devil tries a different angle. He tries a different tactic, sometimes even quoting scripture himself, but of course, twisted and out of context. But we see as Jesus stands as the champion and and, and uses the sword of the spirit that the serpent each time flees away. And Jesus, again, is victorious. And we must learn this as Christians, that we have one weapon which is offensive. As you consider the armor of the Lord, everything else that is described, the helmet, the breastplate of righteousness, the boots and the belt and the shield of faith, these are the shield of faith. These are, are primarily defensive 
uh, forms of battle. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, is the offensive weapon that we must learn to use in battling the enemy and in battling our own flesh. We overcome darkness with light. And the scriptures tell us that your word is light. It is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. The way we engage darkness is with the light of God's word. We unsheath the sword of the spirit and we stick it to the devil and his minions. And so this means we actually need to work at memorizing the word. We need to hide it in our heart, as David said, that we may not sin against God. Um, Even in, in, in song, uh, sometimes learning to sing scripture maybe is easier um, to, than, than to simply memorize it. But we need to, to have the sword of the spirit sharp and ready to use at the attacks of the enemy. Are there specific temptations that you are prone to? Maybe you're prone to come to the, succumb to the devil's accusations uh, of guilt and despair. Well, then you need to work at storing up the word of God as it speaks to these issues of of there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You need to to find places in the word of God that you can commit to memory so that when those attacks come, you have the the sword sharp and ready to, to pull out of its sheath and to use against the devil. I think it was John Piper who described the need for both short swords and long swords. And by that, he meant you need to memorize some short passages of Scripture and you need to memorize some long passages of Scripture. Uh, you need to have some daggers and you need to have some long swords that you have put away in your heart and mind so that you are ready to engage the enemy. And this is a way clearly in the Bible where we see that we are to resist the devil. And when we use the sword of the Spirit, trusting in its power, not because of us, but because of whose word it is, it is God's word, then the devil will flee away. So we resist by learning to abide in the victory of Christ. We resist by using the sword of the Spirit. We also see in the scriptures that we resist the devil in prayer. We resist the devil in prayer. And I'm just going to flip back for a moment to Luke 22, 31. Um, Such an amazing insight into spiritual warfare and the place of prayer. In Luke 2, um, 31, again, a, a familiar passage. But Jesus is preparing his disciples for what is about to happen, his own crucifixion and burial and and resurrection. And specifically in verse 31, Jesus comes to Peter, whom he calls Simon here. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And of course, Peter, Peter uh, boldly asserts that while he is ready to die with Christ and, and uh, even go to prison for Christ, and he's very confident of his ability to, to stand. And Jesus tells him, Peter, before the rooster even crows three times, you're going to have denied me. Or before the rooster crows uh, today, you will deny me three times. 
and, and, and we know the, the unfolding of that. But to consider that, I mean, again, this is all very mysterious to us, but Satan had targeted Peter specifically and no doubt began to be aware of the fact that Peter was going to be something of a leader among the apostles, that he was going to be something of an instrument of advancing uh, this work of Christ. And Satan demanded that, that he have Peter, that he sift him like wheat. Oh, what does that mean? I mean, I think that he would, would sift out of Peter any remnant of faith that remained, that he would see the undoing of Peter. And it would seem, as Jesus uh, comforts Peter, that the reason in which the devil could not have Peter ultimately was Jesus said, but I have prayed for you, Peter. And then the instruction that, and when you stand again, when, when you rise up, Peter, you turn and strengthen your brothers. That is an incredible picture of how Christ as our high priest interceding to the Father, praying for our perseverance. And in the life of Peter, we see it play out. Yes, he did deny Christ. He did fail um, at the most crucial moment in the life of Christ and abandoned him and probably would have ended the same as Judas, who who went away in his self-loathing and despair. But we see Peter, instead of despair and and, and self-loathing, Peter returns to the Lord. He, he repents of his sin and Christ restores him and is, and is used as a great instrument in, in the advancing of the gospel. And we see how it's so important that, that we, like Christ, learn to pray for our own souls, that we learn to pray for our spouse, we learn to pray for our children, you see, it's in those moments of prayer, as, as, as useless as it might feel to our flesh, or it might feel like I'm, this is a waste of time, I have so many things to do, I have so many things I need to work on, or think about, I don't have time to stop and pray. But what we don't realize is you are actually engaging in spiritual warfare, lifting up one another in prayer, and this is one of our most important works. Which is why, no doubt, the devil works as well at keeping us from prayer. But what a comfort to be reminded that even when we are prayerless in different seasons and when our prayers seem so weak and feeble, that we do have a faithful high priest and that Christ not only intercedes for the 12 disciples, But for all those whom the Father has given him, Christ intercedes. He's praying for your perseverance. He's praying that the devil not have you. And this because of this interceding work of Christ that we can trust we will stand before him clothed in his righteousness. But let us learn to be a people of prayer, to trust that God honors the prayers of the saints. And uh, James is going to come back to this issue of prayer later on towards the end of the letter. And I'm convinced that it is in prayer that we also resist the attacks of the enemy and he will flee away. James isn't the only one who talks this way of resisting the devil and the promise of uh, victory over him. In 1 Peter 5, 6, Peter writes, 
Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Peter says the same thing. Resist the devil, stand firm, and God will be the one who will establish you at the right time. We just sang together in the song, I Run to Christ. Verse 2 reads, I run to Christ when worn by life and find my soul refreshed. Come unto me, he calls through strife. Fatigue gives way to rest. I run to Christ when vexed by hell and find a mighty arm. The devil flees, the scripture tells. He roars but cannot harm. And let us learn again and again, day by day, to flee to Christ as our sure refuge, to abide in the finished work that he has done on the cross and in the victory of his resurrection, to remind ourselves of those truths and to remind one another of those truths. And when the enemy comes against you, to remind him of those truths and resist him. Remind yourself of the triumph of the Lamb and his coming which is sure. And I pray if you've never professed faith in Christ, you've never called upon him to save you, you've never fled to Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and put on the the sign of baptism, then I would urge you to do that. Do not leave yourself vulnerable to this ancient enemy, but flee to the only one who can give us victory, not only over the devil, but over death and sin itself. Flee to Christ day after day and come to his word. Meditate upon it. Sing it. Memorize it. Learn to use it as the sword of the spirit when engaged in battle. And let us often come to the Lord in prayer, not only as a church, but in your homes, privately, even as you drive or work. Learn to take those moments to to pray to the Lord Driving is a a good time because then you can even pray out loud and no one's going to think you're crazy. Um, Actually, apparently Martin Luther used to often pray out loud because he said he wanted the devil to hear his prayers as well. And, uh, and, and, And do that. Find times to come to the Lord. And all in all, let us rejoice in Christ who is our faithful high priest and to abide in him who will surely give us the victory over our foe. Let's pray, and uh, we're going to close there this morning. So I'll ask you to bow with me once again. Lord, we come to you now and just thank you for the clarity of your word. God, we know that um, oftentimes we maybe don't uh, want to, to do what has clearly been told us, Lord, or maybe we have neglected to, to search it out and to study it. And, and I know that it's easy for uh, myself to become spiritually lazy and just expect you to 
to, to drop a, a message directly from heaven and not have to do the work of studying and thinking and praying and asking questions, but we ask that you help us to be disciplined um, in this matter, that we might be equipped, Lord, that we would not be caught off guard and, and led astray, but Lord, that we would be a vigilant people, even interceding for one another and also for our community and our country, God, that we would trust that you hear the prayers of your saints and that, Lord, that you will move all of heaven, uh, Lord, when we pray um, in the name of Christ, because he is the one who has conquered and even now is seated at the right hand of the Father. And I pray you guide us into a new week. Lord, we do ask for your protection, even as Jesus taught us to pray, Lord, that you keep us from the evil one. And we look to you for wisdom and discernment and strength and courage, Lord, that you would grant us an increasing measure of all of these um, by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we ask your blessing upon our fellowship to follow. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this sermon preached at Redeeming Grace Bible Church. If you'd like to find out more about Redeeming Grace Bible Church or find other sermons and resources, please visit us online at www.redeeminggracechurch.ca. We pray that the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, that the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.